to the um, halfway point in Acts. Um, and uh, today we're going to be taking a look at uh, chapter 15, which is a significant uh, turning point in the book of Acts. Uh, we will see from uh, this point on, the focus really will be on Paul and the different uh, journeys that he takes to um, share the gospel um, outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea, and outside of uh, Samaria. But before, uh, before they do that, the, the church, uh, we have, uh, if we've been paying attention, especially these last few chapters, as the church has begun to, uh, to grow and to pay attention to the leading of the Holy Spirit, we've begun to see uh, some conflict arise both within and outside of the church. As uh, these new followers, uh, uh, these followers of Jesus who have long been a part of the people of God try to discern what this new thing is that Jesus is doing and um, how to uh, share, in fact, what is happening. And at the same time, we see uh, those within the people of God um, struggling to understand um, how this fits in and those who um, are Gentiles. And so today we come to chapter 15 of uh, Acts, and um, this is after uh, Paul and Barnabas have completed their first journey where they went to Cyprus and, and up through Galatia and then have come back. And uh, we are told, as they are back in Antioch in Syria, uh, in chapter 15 we're told some people came down from Judea um, teaching the family of believers Unless you are circumcised according to the custom we received from Moses, you can't be saved. Paul and Barnabas took sides against these Judeans and argued strongly against their position. In other words, their argument was is that these new believers, these Gentiles, did not need to be uh, circumcised in order to become a part uh, of Jesus' followers. They did not have to become Jews before they started following um, Jesus. And it says that the church at Antioch appointed Paul and Barnabas and several others from Antioch to go up to Jerusalem to set this question before the apostles and before the elders, before uh, those who had been around Jesus in his ministry. Uh, and the church sensed this delegation, uh, they, and, and as they were going, they continued to share stories uh, about how the Gentiles had responded to the good news. And we're told when they, in, in verse 4, when they arrived in Jerusalem, the church, the apostles, and the elders all welcomed them. They gave a full report of what God had accomplished through their activities, that is, Paul and Barnabas, and God had accompanied them through their activity. Some believers from among the Pharisees, some Christian Pharisees, stood up and claimed, the Gentiles must be circumcised. They must be required to keep the law of Moses. And so I just want us to think, I think sometimes um, in hearing this uh, passage, maybe we don't get the, the full weight of what's going on. Uh, but um, as we talked a little bit about uh, last week, there are basically uh, two neat groups of people within um, this first century. We had uh, the uh, Jews and we had the Gentiles. And I'm going to attempt 
this, this could be a bad idea. Um, I'm going to attempt to use this whiteboard, and I'm sure that those in the back are going to have a hard time seeing it. Uh, you feel free to move to the front if you want to. Um, think that'll work? None of them got up to move. I haven't started drawing yet. Um, um, so we, we have these nice bounded sets of people, or at, at least we have, um, we've got, we've got uh, the Jews and the Gentiles, okay? Everybody that wasn't a Jew outside of this. And, and here's the real issue that's going on. Um, I, I, maybe that will help us, is um, that the question is, is who is in or who is out, right? Isn't that the question that these, um, these uh, Pharisee Christians, the Judeo-Christians are asking? They're saying, um, who is in and who is out? Who is, a, who is a part of the people of God and who aren't a part of the people of God? And so this was a really important question, and, and circumcision and, the, and following the law of Moses was this boundary that was generally set, right? We know in the Old Testament uh, that, uh, that circumcision was a mark uh, of people being a part of the covenant people of God. It was the mark that God had given to Abraham. And likewise, when Moses came along, we had the Torah and the law that was given. And again, uh, that became a marker for who were the people of God and who was not a part of the people of God. Um, and um, for the most part, within that boundary were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, however, there were occasionally some Gentiles who were not descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who decided that they wanted to be part of the covenant people. And so they embraced the Torah and they were circumcised. And so now what we see going on in um, Acts is this um, sudden questioning of what the boundary is. We have seen uh, both with Peter and with Paul that they are reaching out to people who are not descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they are inviting them to, to follow this Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And so as more and more of them uh, begin to receive and follow uh, Jesus, the question becomes, well, if they're going to follow the Jewish Messiah, then they need to take on these markers. They need to enter into this bounded group that is called uh, the people of God. Now, we do the same thing today, don't we? Don't we often uh, draw circles around groups of people? Um, we, we draw these circles and we try to determine who is in and who is out. In fact, um, it seems to me like we do that more and more these days. I don't know about you all, but um, every election cycle... Um, I begin to get about this time of the year, I'll get some mailings, I'll get some letters in the mail that tell me, uh, that, that explain to me how to tell you all who to vote for. 
you know, so that I can explain to you without saying the person you should vote for, um, that I can very clearly tell you um, who or, or what issues should be important to you so that you will know, since you are Christian, how you should vote. Would you like me to share some of that with you today? No. Okay. Good answer, whoever said that. Um, I usually throw those in the trash. Um, uh, but I, I always find it interesting because we, we begin to, to, to have these bounded sets. In fact, um, I was on Facebook in the last couple of weeks, and, and uh, um, unfortunately, probably... Um, looking at uh, different sites, and, and I came across one that basically said, well, if you don't believe this, you hate God. A a and um, this very clear uh, thing about this is the boundaries which we have drawn. Um, you must be within this boundary... Or you're not a real Christian, or you don't love God. What, what do we do with these bounded sets that we begin to draw? Especially when we, have a, a, when we might have um, another set down here of other people who claim that we have to have these beliefs in order to be followers of Jesus. What, what do we begin to do with this? And these bounded sets. See, the problem becomes when we have these bounded sets, we begin to focus on the boundary, don't we? We begin to focus on what does it take? What do I have to do so that I can cross into that boundary and be a part of the people of God? And then once we're in it, we begin to focus on what do I have to do to make sure that I don't cross back across that boundary and not become a people of God. Isn't that how we do things sometimes? E even today, and in part, this is what was going on in, in Acts chapter uh, 15, it is that um, the uh, people of God, the, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the temple leaders and the religious leaders who had been threatened by Jesus and were now being threatened by um, by the Apostle Paul and by uh, some of the um, followers of Jesus who were reaching out to the Gentiles and inviting them to become followers of Jesus. And they began to worry. So how do we know whether they're truly in or out? How do we know? Well, the whole story of chapter 15 is uh, the, the apostles gathering together and the people from Antioch coming and seeking to get their input. And if we continue in the story there, uh, we are told that um, the apostles and the elders, they gather together to consider this, and it says there was much debate. That's probably an understatement. That's I, I mean... Um, that would be, um, you know, if, if we had um, some folks who were more conservative and some folks who were more progressive in the building here, and, and we were just having a friendly discussion around one or two topics, 
it might get a little, um, we might get a little bit passionate. Is that a nice way to put it? We might get a little bit passionate uh, about um, those particular issues and what it meant to be the people of God. Um, well, it would be about ten times um, what we could even imagine this discussion that these early followers would be having around circumcision. It was an important issue for them. And um, it, we continue in 15, and what we see as we, um, if you read chapter 15, what, you, what we first begin is Peter stands up. Peter stands up among the people, and Peter says, well, let me tell you what I have experienced. Let me tell you what I have experienced. And Peter, in essence, recounts the story of Cornelius. Remember a few weeks ago when we looked at the story of Cornelius, uh, this story where uh, Peter um, had this vision, and then he was sent to Cornelius to share uh, the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus with Cornelius. And suddenly in the middle of Peter's message, Cornelius receives the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, um, in, in observing that, he, he says, well, it, it seems to me that God has received them and accepted them, that they have received the same Holy Spirit that we have received. So who are we to deny that they are a part of the people of God? Who are we to deny that they are real followers of Jesus if, in fact, they have received the same spirit that we have received? If, in fact, um, that we see the same grace at work in their lives and we see them exhib exhibiting the same traits that Jesus, who are we to suggest that they are not a part of the people of God? And the whole realm of folks who are gathered there, uh, they, um, they are silenced by the examples that Peter gives. Peter, uh, this uh, Jewish fisherman who had been a follower of Jesus, um, who had done miracles and been a leader within the church, he had their attention. And then we're told that uh, Paul and Barnabas then share uh, the, the, the experiences that they have had as they have traveled throughout the Gentile world and they have, they have shared the good news of Jesus uh, with these people um, who were far away from God. And he shares the stories of how the Holy Spirit has been at work in their ministry, how uh, people have turned uh, and began to follow uh, Jesus. And after he's done sharing his experiences, James stands up. And in uh, verse uh, 13, uh, it says, When Barnabas and Paul um, were, were quiet, James responded, and he said, Fellow believers, listen to me. Simon has reported how in his kindness, in, in his kindness God came to the Gentiles in the first place, to raise up from them a people of God. 
In addition to that, the prophet's words, they agree with what Peter has experienced. And he quotes from Amos. And the passage from Amos that he quotes says, After this I will return and I will rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild what has been torn down and I will restore it so that the rest of humanity will seek God, even all the Gentiles who belong to me. And James goes on to say, Therefore I conclude that we shouldn't create problems for the Gentiles who turn to God. Instead, we should write a letter telling them to avoid pollutions associated with idols, sexual immorality, eating meat strangled from animals, and consuming blood. After all, Moses has been proclaimed in every city for a long time and is read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogue. In other words, this last piece, I think what James is saying is that um, Moses and the law has been read in the synagogue for years and years and years, and people have not been turning to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet, Paul and Barnabas and Peter have been sharing the good news of Jesus, this Jewish Messiah, and now the Gentiles are beginning to turn to God. James is warning the people not to create stumbling blocks for these new people who are turning toward God. I can't help but, but wonder if sometimes that's what we do in Christian circles today is by drawing these boundaries and insisting that everybody must believe all these sets of principles that we believe if we are not creating stumbling blocks and rather than drawing people to Christ, are pushing people away. Because we are saying, if you don't believe exactly like this, you, not only are you not a person of God, you're not even welcome to come and raise such questions in our midst. In fact, a lot of research says that's exactly what's happening to the younger generation is they hear these definitions and they hear what the church is against rather than what the church is for, and they are repelled by the example of Christianity that is put forth today. I wonder if we need to be more like in the days of, in, um, like in Acts chapter 15. In essence, what's going on is these boundaries these boundaries are being eliminated and erased. That becomes scary for us, doesn't it? So how do we know? Maybe we don't need to know, first of all. But how do we determine if people are part of the people of God? Well, in, in, um, in 1 Thessalonians... Um, I think um, Paul maybe sums this up for us, which I think is what um, James is trying to say. These stipulations that James gives, um, they can be boiled down to basically turn away from idols and don't participate in idol worship. Uh, this idea of, of, uh, of eating strangled meat or participating in uh, sexual immorality um, he's, he's really talking about what was going on at Idol Feast. 
And what he's saying to these new Gentiles um, and the decree that they will send out to the new Gentiles is, um, here's all that we're going to require of you. Turn away from your idols and turn to the living God. And in fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, when, um, when Paul is talking to the church, um, and, and he says, the Thessalonians have made a great sacrifice. They have turned from their destructive idols, and they have turned toward the living and true God. What if instead of a bounded model, we had more of what is called, um, the, any of you are mathematicians, um, what we call a center set. And what that means is instead of things being determined by boundaries and static boundaries, they're determined by movement. And so in essence, what is being said in Acts chapter 15 is it's not so much about this boundary within which you're in, but the question is, what direction are you moving See the difference? So the question is, is not necessarily what are the, the principles, what are the boundaries, but the question is, are you moving in the direction of Christ? Are you turning away from your idols and turning toward Christ? And so he's... They're saying to the Gentiles, the only, that's the only stipulation we're going to put on you is that you turn away from these other gods that you have worshipped and served and instead turn to Christ. That message is just as relevant today as it was then. What if we begin to turn away from those things that we have idolized. No, not in the first century they worshipped they worship idols and other gods. Um, in, in our day and time, few people in our, um, in, in our community worship other deities in heaven. But there are plenty of other gods that we serve, aren't there? What would happen if the people of God, rather than trying to set up these boundaries of determining who's in and who's out, if we simply invited people to turn from the idols, if we ourselves would turn from the idols that we serve, from the places, uh, do we get our security uh, from, from our finances? Do we get our security uh, from our nation? Or do we get our security from Christ? Do we follow the agendas of our, uh, of our favorite group, embracing anything and everything that they say? Or do we allow Christ to lead us and shape us? Are we so set in our ways that we no longer move toward Jesus, but we just hang out where we are? satisfied with who we become and where we are because we're in, so we don't need to worry. Have we become so comfortable with that that we are stagnant 
rather than continuing to move toward Christ. This this was the only stipulation that was put on new followers of Jesus. And what we will continue to see as we unpack the, the book of Acts, we will continue to see that people who worshipped other gods indeed begin to turn from those gods and begin to, to follow Christ. What if at every turn we simply keep pointing to Christ, seeking ourselves to live and to love like Jesus, seeking to invite others to do the same. Indeed, the invitation for us and for all people is to hear the good news Jesus proclaimed. The kingdom of God has arrived. Healing and wholeness are available. All we need to do is turn from the destructive idols that we cling to and hold on to and instead turn and walk toward Christ so that His Spirit might continue to shape us and form us and we indeed might be the people God intended us to be. May we, uh, may we aspire to do that and to offer that message today to all with whom we come into contact. Amen. Now I invite you, um, if, you're, if you're at home, I invite you to have bread and cup ready. I invite those of us here uh, to begin to prepare our hearts for the receiving of the bread and the cup. And I invite us to do so first by uh, bowing our heads. And let us uh, simply, um, let us simply go to God with words of confession, with prayers of confession. Ever-present and ever-loving God, forgive us when we fail to stop and listen for your voice. Forgive us when we hear your voice and choose to ignore it or to continue going our own ways. Forgive us when we seek to be in the company of those who please us or those who think like us rather than re reaching out to people who are different from us or reaching out to people who need to hear your good news or simply need a hand up from us. Forgive us for our narrow understanding of discipleship, for our clouded sense of purpose and mission, for our tendency to draw boundaries around who's in and who's out rather than pointing in your direction. Forgive us 
when we find ourselves frightened about what the future might hold. Forgive us when we fail to acknowledge your grace in the present. When we fail to lay hold of your healing and your forgiveness. Through your Holy Spirit, we offer ourselves as we gather together to once again be renewed and refreshed by your Holy Spirit. Come indeed, Holy Spirit, and touch us this day. I invite you to join me in the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. You promise to be with your people always. Through Moses, you um, set your people free so that they could faithfully follow you. And when they, when they strayed away, when they got uh, lost and they forgot uh, the mission for which you called them and, and they thought that you had simply set them aside for privilege rather than responsibility, you sent your prophets to them to continue to call them to turn back to you and to participate in the mission to which you had called them. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and we join in their unending hymn. Holy, 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 Lord God, of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Indeed, holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ who came to heal our brokenness, to forgive our sins, to enable us to live an abundant life, who came inviting us to follow him in all that we do. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and by spirit. On the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took the bread, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the supper, he took the cup again, he gave thanks. He said, drink from this, all of you. Um, this is the blood of the new covenant given for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. And so it is, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, uh, that we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the great mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon those gathered here. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon those who are gathered in their homes around uh, their bread and cup. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon a bread and cup that um, are here and that people have. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ. 
that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood, filled with his Holy Spirit, always pointing toward Christ and inviting others uh, to join us in this journey toward Christ, in this journey of turning away from our idols and turning more and more to follow Christ and his ways so that not only we might experience healing, but so that the world and our community might experience healing and wholeness and hope. By your Holy Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ shall come again in final victory, and we will feast at that heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. And now I invite you, whether you're at home or you're here, to take the bread and the cup and to share with one another, knowing that as we partake, that in this mysterious way that the Spirit participates in this mystery and this sacrament, and we experience the presence of Christ afresh and anew. Receive the bread and the cup, and in doing so, receive Christ in his spirit.